0: I have an important question for you this morning. Are you ready? Nod your head if you're ready. Good. Here's the question. What is the number one goal of your life? Really? What is the number one goal of your life? I read some surveys this week where people responded to that question with some interesting results. For example, the number one goal of teenagers was this in the survey, to make a difference by helping people. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? Or or this one, the number one goal of people over 50, to improve and maintain my health. Other responses from people included spending more time with family, getting out of debt, losing weight. But the number one goal of people in general was this. Are you ready? Living life to the fullest. Now, that's an interesting response, and it brings up a logical question. How? How? How do you live life to the fullest? What does that actually mean? Because typically when somebody says, I want to live life to the fullest, what they mean is, I want to live a life that pleases me. I want to pursue my goals and my dreams because life is really about what I need, what I want, what I like. However, there is a very important shift that can take place in our heads and our hearts. And the shift occurs when instead of asking the question, how much pleasure am I getting out of my life, we ask this question. How much pleasure is my life giving to God? Now, according to this book that we call the Bible, the number one goal of our life should be to please God, to bring joy to his heart. This is, this is the reason God made us, so that we could know him, so that we could pursue this goal of spending time with him, And today, as we continue this this series of messages called Stories of Hope, if you're here today and you really want a different life, you really want a better life, this message is for you. And here again is the verse that we're basing this series on. This is from Romans chapter 15. It says, for everything written in the past, again, that's a specific reference to these stories in the Old Testament, everything written in the past was written to teach us. Why? So that through endurance, And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? You can say it really loud. We might have hope. Exactly. Now, the story we're going to look at today clearly shows us that our number one goal in life is to please God. Now, that means that your most important task in life is to figure out how can I do that? And that's exactly what this story is going to show us. So as the story begins, we discover that pleasing God is the last thing that people are concerned about. We'll pick the story up here in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. What a dark picture of humanity. And notice the next verse. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. One translation says that it brought pain to the heart of God. And then verse 7 continues. It says, And the Lord said this, I will wipe the human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the animals, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. This has got to be one of the saddest parts of the entire Bible. I mean, people have turned their backs on God. The world is morally bankrupt and God's heart is broken. And yet, as you continue reading the story, there is this ray of hope because we come to this verse, verse 8, and it says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. One translation says, Noah was a pleasure to God. So here's the big question this morning and it's right there on your outline. What can we learn from the story of Noah that will enable us to please God and bring joy to his heart. So here's the first thing we learn. Like Noah, we please God when we love him supremely. When we love God supremely. Noah loved God more than anything else. And we see that in this next verse, verse 9. It says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. That means that he has a right relationship with God. He was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And notice this next statement and he walked in close fellowship with God. Do you know what God wants? Do you know what brings joy to God's heart? It's right here, walking in close fellowship with him, spending time with God, developing your relationship with him. When I was in high school, my wife Chris and I were dating, and our relationship was getting more and more serious. And I mentioned in first service, because Chris was right here in the front row, that I asked permission to share the story. Just so you know, But um, we were getting more and more serious, and so the question that I was wrestling with is this, is she the one? Is Chris the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And at the time, I was working in high school on the weekends. I worked at the Miami Herald loading trucks at night, loading newspapers into semis from 10 p.m. to 8 o'clock the next morning, so I had a lot of time to think. And I remember going to my boss one night, and he was... A bit older than I was, he was a Vietnam veteran, and I just thought he had a lot of life experience and was wise, and so I said, listen, I'm really wrestling with this question. How do I know if Chris is the one? He goes, oh, Dudley, it's really easy. (laughs) I said, how could it be easy? He says, no, really it's easy. Here's what you need to do. Take one whole week and spend as much time with Chris as you possibly can, every waking hour. And at the end of that week, ask yourself a question. Do I wanna run away now, or do I wanna spend even more time with Chris? And so that's what we did. For a whole week, we spent all this time together, and at the end of the week, the answer was so clear. Man, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to spend more time with Chris, and there's one reason that that was my response. Because I love her. And that's what love does. And I will tell you this, whenever I have time, the one person in the world that I want to spend time with is my wife, Chris. And friends, that really is a picture of how God wants our relationship with Him to be. God wants to spend time with us. He wants us to know Him. And we see this in the Bible. One of the things that breaks God's heart over and over again is when His people forget Him and neglect Him and ignore Him. I think about the times in my life, and this is after I decided to follow Jesus, the times in my life when I neglected my relationship with God. And you know, I had my reasons, I was busy, I had important goals, I had a family, I had a job, I had all these excuses really, and if somebody came to me and said, hey, what's the number one goal of your life? I knew the right answer. Um, yeah, God's in first place and I'm supposed to love Him and please Him and spend time with Him. Truth is, that wasn't how I was living my life. I've come to the place now where I think all the time about that question how can I please God with my life? What can I do today that will bring joy to his heart? And one of the reasons that that question is so important to me is I look back over my life and I realize all the times that I broke God's heart. And so I just don't want to do that anymore. And so I want to encourage you, think about what you can do to spend time with God, to get to know God, to strengthen your relationship with God because as you do that, it will bring joy to God's heart. And after all, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should be the number one goal of your life. Now, here's another way to please God and bring joy to his heart. Like Noah, we please God when we trust him completely. When we trust him completely. Now, look at this commentary about Noah's faith. This is in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews. It says this, it was by faith, that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. You see, God came to Noah and said, "Listen, I'm going to send a flood. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights." And Noah had never seen rain before. So that took a lot of faith, didn't it, to believe God, to trust God completely? And not only that, Noah lived hundreds of miles from the ocean. So I mean, how is this ever gonna work out? How could he round up all these animals? How could he find enough food to feed them? You know, I think if God asked me to do something like that, I would have a lot of questions, wouldn't you? I probably would have, you know, some reasons that, God, this, there's no way this can work out. And God, can you find somebody else? I'm just not the right person for the job. But Noah asks no questions, he makes no excuses. He doesn't even say, God, this is too hard. He just obeys God. Completely. And how does God respond? God is pleased. His obedience brings joy to the heart of God. When my son David, my oldest son, was just a little boy, there was this game that he loved to play in our backyard. We lived in North Miami. And we had this giant mango tree in the backyard. And the game that he loved to play, um, some of you will remember this, um, Tarzan and Cheetah. You know who Tarzan and Cheetah are? Okay, now, I was fortunate in that I didn't get to play the part of Cheetah, right, because David had to climb the tree and he was much better at it than I was. But the rule was I had to dress in costume. So, I don't know what the neighbors thought, but we'd be in the backyard and we'd be playing Tarzan and Cheetah, and David's up in the tree acting like a monkey, like a chimpanzee. But the thing that he always loved to do was just jump out of the tree and and have me catch him. And I remember, you know, so clearly we'd be playing this game and he'd be up in in the tree acting like a chimp and, you know, shaking the tree. And what I was supposed to say was, jump, cheetah. And I knew that the minute I said those two words, I better be ready. Because he would launch himself out of that tree. And sometimes I had to make some adjustments to catch him. But as soon as I caught him, he would just run right back back up in the tree and do it over and over again. Now, why do you think my son was so willing to leap out of that tree? Because he trusted me how? Completely. Friends, that's how God wants us to trust him completely. God wants us to jump into his arms and believe that he will always catch us. I was thinking this week about one of the things that's really important to us as a church, and that is to be a gospel-centered church, to have the story of Jesus, um, what he's done for us at the center of everything we do and of every ministry here in the church. And I thought about this, you know, the good news about Jesus begins when somebody believes what? What kind of news? You should know this by now. Yes, yeah, the bad news, because you really can't understand how incredibly good the good news is until you understand how bad the bad news is. And the bad news is this, you can't save yourself. I mean, that really is the bottom line, isn't it? Because we come into this world with a heart that pulls us away from God. We, we have this, it's sort of like, ever have a car that was out of alignment and you take your hands off the steering wheel and just goes, pulls to the left or pulls to the right? That's a picture of our heart. Our heart pulls us away from God, away from his plan, away from his purpose. And and the Bible has a word for this, our failure to obey God, because God says, hey, love me supremely. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what is that three letter word with an I in the middle? It's sin. sin. And sin separates us from God because God's holy and we're not. And God is not only holy, God is just. And so the just punishment we deserve for our sin is for that separation to continue how long? Yeah forever and the bad news is there's nothing we can do to save ourselves we cannot be good enough to be accepted by God because nobody's perfect and that's what it would take but here's the good news somebody is perfect somebody loves us enough to to arrange a situation where their perfect life could be substituted for ours and that is the story of the gospel see the Bible says there's one God and this one God exists in three persons God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And the story in this book is that God the Father sends God the Son to earth in the person of Jesus, and Jesus does what no one had ever been able to do. He lives what kind of life? A perfect life. And so that uniquely qualifies him to be our substitute. And that's how the story plays out. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's hung on a cross, and on the cross, this amazing transaction takes place. God's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place but here's the flip side. When you trust Jesus, his perfect record of obedience is credited to you. And this is, this is an amazing thing that God loves us that much. And I was, I was thinking about the words of Jesus. This is in John 10 because he describes his mission. He says, I came that they might have life, life to the full. Now, isn't that interesting? People said, hey, my number one goal in life is to live life to the fullest. But what we discover is that living this kind of life is not found in pleasing ourselves. It's found in pleasing God. Because Jesus says, I have a new life for you. But if you want to take this new life, you have to do something. You have to come to the realization that you can't save yourself. You have to admit that you're a sinner and you need a savior. And you have to leap. You have to take this step of faith and trust me instead of yourself. And here's the thing, church. When you become a Christian, it takes this This faith where you trust God completely. You realize you can't save yourself, but it doesn't end there. Every single day we live, we have this opportunity to trust God more and more. And that's what pleases God. When we get up in the morning and we say, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I'm trusting you. I'm jumping into your arms again and again. And I believe, God, that whatever happens, you will always catch me. By the way, this is a bit of Bible trivia. Does anybody know how long it took Noah to build the ark? Whoa! Great answer. It's correct. 120 years. Now, can you imagine getting up every day for 120 years and going to work, doing the same job? And and what about this? Do you think that Noah ever got discouraged? Did he ever want to quit? Did people ever ridicule him and say, "Man, you heard God tell you to build this boat"? <laughs> Listen, this is an amazing thing, that day after day, Noah trusted God completely. So when you wake up tomorrow and you go to work or you stay at home with the kids or wherever God is leading you, remember this, whatever happens, you can trust God completely. And when you do, it will bring joy to his heart. And that brings us to another way that we can please God, the third way. Like Noah, we please God when we obey him wholeheartedly. When we obey him wholeheartedly. One of the things we learn from this story is that when God gives you instructions, they are not ambiguous. They are very clear. You know, God doesn't say, hey Noah, um, hey, head down to Home Depot and pick up some building supplies and build this enormous boat. And listen, anything you want to build is fine. Just use your own judgment. That's not what God does. God is very specific about how big the boat's supposed to be and the kind of wood that's supposed to be used. There's a place in Kentucky called the Ark Encounter. How many of you have heard about this? I know some people in our church were headed there this summer. Here's a picture of this replica ark. Now, that's a big boat, is it not? And in the Bible, it talks about um, cubits, because God tells Noah how many cubits it needs to be in terms of its length and width and height. This particular replica is 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. And that is just remarkable. Now, think about this. When God tells Noah about the dimensions of the boat and and all these different instructions, how does Noah respond? Well, this is what the Bible tells us. So Noah did everything. What's the next word? Exactly as God had commanded him. So how did that make God feel? Very pleased. It brought joy to God's heart because Noah obeyed God wholeheartedly. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, simply that God wants us to obey obey Him the same way. Because here's a reality. We often offer God partial obedience. Isn't that true? I mean, we know the way that God wants us to live. His instructions are clear. But sometimes we do this. We pick and choose the things we want to do or the things that are easy to do. And we sometimes avoid or disregard the ones that are difficult or unpopular. Yeah, God, I'll go to church. I like going to church, God. That's really great. But listen, that whole tithing thing, oh, that's just unreasonable. Are you kidding me? Or how about this? Um, God, yeah, I'm, you know what? I, I saw the thing. Pastor Phil was talking about his Bible studies. I'm going to go to one of those Bible studies. But listen, don't expect me to forgive that person who hurt me. That is just too stinking hard. Here's a hard reality, a hard truth. Partial disobedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience in God's eyes because God wants us to obey him wholeheartedly. And if you're a parent, let me ask you this. Um, When you ask your kids to do something, how do you want them to obey you? Yeah, wholeheartedly. You want them to do exactly what you say. That's how Noah obeyed God. And, And church, we need to realize this, that obedience is really important to God. It's a really big deal, but why? Well, let me give you three quick reasons. And I could spend a lot of time on this, but here's the first. Obedience proves that we love God. Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. And I will tell you this, day in and day out, week in, week out, I see people here in our church family doing what Jesus said. You know, there are these um, one another's of scripture, you know, like pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another, love one another. I see that happening all the time in our church family. And every time I see that, it brings joy to my heart and I know it brings joy to God's heart as well. So obedience is important because it proves that we love God. But here's another reason that obedience is so important. It's good for us. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have ever disobeyed God? You've headed down the wrong path and it brought you pain. Anybody got a pain story? Got the t-shirt to prove it? You know, we we know this, don't we? That when we disobey God, it leads to pain. So why does God want us to obey him? Because he loves us. He wants us to avoid that pain. And here's the third reason, freedom. Obeying God's commands leads us to freedom. Now, sometimes as we go through our day, we face the challenge of just living to please ourselves. Other times, we go through the day and we face the challenge of trying to live to please other people in our lives and I will tell you this and this is no news flash living your life to please others is an exercise in futility I was thinking about a story that I read one time about this um, third grade Sunday school teacher and she had this class and she was talking about God's power and she said class is there anything too hard for God to do and this little boy raises his hand and this little boy was the pastor's son And he says, yes, I know something God cannot do. He's not powerful enough to do it. And the teacher says, well, Johnny, what is that? And he says, well, I heard my dad talking to my mom last night. And he said, not even God could please everybody in this church. Listen, God's goal is not to please everybody. Our goal as followers of Jesus Christ should not be to please everybody. What should our goal be? to please God, to live for an audience of one. See, when we choose to obey God wholeheartedly, it really does lead to freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, freedom from guilt. One of my favorite verses is in Psalm 119. King David says As I run in the path of your commands, God, for you have set my heart free. Well, here's another way that we can please God, and this is on your outline. Like Noah, we please God when we thank him continually. When we thank him continually. After this adventure on the ark, and remember there are eight people on the ark. There's Noah and uh, Noah's wife, and her name was not Joan of Arc, even though some people think that. Just want to clarify that for you. Um, his sons and their wives. So eight people survived this worldwide flood. What's the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the ark, he thanks God. Look at this verse. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed his burnt offerings, the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And what does God think about that? Well, we don't have to guess because the Scripture tells us very clearly. And the Lord was what? He was pleased, pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and said to himself, "I will never again curse the ground because of the human race." even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. This is God's commentary on the condition of our hearts. I will never again destroy all living things. You know, as you read the stories in the Old Testament, it is really remarkable that so many times God's people just forget to say thank you. And that breaks God's heart. But it gets even worse. It's not just that God's people forget to say thank you. They often complain about well, virtually everything. Think about the nation of Israel because they were world-class complainers. They had taken complaining uh, to an art form. I mean, they were incredible. Think about the story of manna. Remember God provided this miracle food? And uh, I guess for a few days, it was a great novelty, but the novelty wore off. And they started to think, oh, man, manna again? All we get day in and day out is this stinking manna. Manna waffles, manna burgers, manna cotti. Bamana manna bread I mean it's, it never ends there was a an exercise that I took our church through this was a number of years ago and the intention of the exercise was to help us develop a more thankful heart and some of you may remember this exercise I think it's good to review these things from time to time because uh, some of you may not have heard this but it, it involved four letters ICBW does anybody remember what those four letters stand for It could be worse. Okay, good. I'm glad you remember that. So can we say that together? It could be worse. Now, say it like you mean it. It could be worse. And here's how this works, okay? Let's say that after the service, you're getting ready to go to the parking lot and get in your car. And so you're getting into your car and you look at the car next to yours and you go, man, I wish that was my car. I mean, I love that car. And you start to be a little ungrateful for the car that you have. You just do this middle time out and you say those four words to yourself. Can we say them right now? it could be worse. I could have no car. You know, my car could be broken down. It could not run. So you, you know, remind yourself, hey, it could be worse. Or how about this? You get into your car and you're driving home and you pass this really big house and and it's beautiful and you think, man, I wish that was my house. And you start just kind of complaining about the house that you have. But you go, whoa, whoa. In church, we learned those, those four words. And can we say them again? It could be worse. You could have no house. You could have no apartment. You could have no place to live. Are you kidding me? Now listen, if you're married, think about this. You wake up tomorrow morning, you roll over in bed, you look at your husband and your wife and you say, don't say that. What you say is, God, I'm so thankful for my husband, I'm so thankful for my wife. Listen, here's the reality. You will not drift into being a more thankful person. You have to be intentional about it. And we know that, don't we? You know, one of the ways that we become intentional about gratitude is by thinking about, well, how can I express my thanks to God? I remember reading a book by Randy Alcorn. He's a pastor, and he's written a lot about giving. And he talks about the connection between grace and giving in in these terms. He says, you know, consider the relationship between thunder and lightning. By the way, which comes first? You guys live in South Florida, you know this. Which comes first, thunder or lightning? Lightning, and then thunder is sure to follow. And his point is this, when you receive God's grace, then the most natural thing in the world is to give in response to that grace. It's like the thunder that follows the lightning. And so every time that you give, whether it's your time or your talents or your financial resources, you're becoming a more grateful person but you're also pleasing the heart of God. You're bringing joy to his heart. And here's another really practical way to develop a more thankful heart. Every time you eat, thank God. Now, how many times a day do you eat? Yeah, it's different for all of us, right? You might eat once or maybe six times or 10 times. I don't know. But here's the thing. If you develop this, this habit of every time you eat of just doing a timeout and saying, God, thank you for giving me this food. Um, I realize there are people in So many places around this world that don't have the food that they need. So thank you, God. And, you know, I've I've often thought about this. Why is it that we have to eat so many times? Do you ever feel like this um, if you're the cook at home? Man, I just got finished with this meal and I got to get ready for the next one, right? Figure out what you're going to eat. I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if God made us like bears, right? You could just eat all this food and then just sleep for like months. But that's not how God made us. And I really think that one of the reasons is that God wants us to be thankful every time we eat. And when you do that, it just trains your mind to go down this certain path where you're thinking about things you can be thankful for. Not only the food, but God, I have a place to live. I have clothes to wear. God, I can, I can see with my eyes and hear with my ears. Thank you for the people that care about me. The list goes on and on. Listen, if you're feeling discouraged And even hopeless, one of the best things you can do is just stop and start thanking God for everything you can think of. And that will change your heart and change the thoughts that are flowing through your mind. So listen, one of the ways to please God is to thank him continually. And here's the final one. Like Noah, we please God when we use our abilities for his purposes. When we use our abilities for his purposes. I was so excited um to hear about all the volunteers we have in vbs and i'm so excited about all the kids that are coming and i was just thinking about what this place is going to look like um, tomorrow and by the way listen if you're a a vbs volunteer there's going to be a, a meeting because there's a lot of prep work that's going to happen today there's going to be lunch and then some work but would you do this would you just go to the back wall right here um, by the kitchen door and uh, wait for some instructions after the service. I'll try to remind you after the service to do that as well. But listen, I was thinking about this. How does God feel about VBS? And it's really simple, isn't it? It brings joy to his heart. Because people are are using their abilities to accomplish his purpose. Just like Noah used his abilities to accomplish God's purpose. And this is interesting too, because after the flood, God essentially comes to Noah and says, listen, we're going to start all over again. And the words that God speaks to Noah are reminiscent of what God said to Adam and Eve. He says basically, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And what God is saying is, Noah, get back to doing what I created you to do. Hey, be with your wife and have babies and, 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 and grow food and, and build a house and raise a family. And listen, whenever you're doing What God has created you to do, it brings joy to his heart. Let me ask you this. Um, Does it make God happy? Does it bring joy to God's heart when you're in church on Sunday morning, when you show up? Nod your head yes, because it does. Um, Does it please God when you pray? Does it please God when you give? You you can realize all the answers will be yes, okay? Well, what about this? Does it please God when you get up and go to work in the morning? Well, yeah, because you're using your abilities that he's given to you. Uh, Does it please God when you play golf? Long as it's not on Sunday morning when you should be in church. Listen, you, you can do any activity except sin in a way that honors God and pleases God when you do it with a heart of thanksgiving and praise. And church, again, the bottom line for this message is not just a game changer, it's a life changer instead of asking the question, how much pleasure am I getting out of my life? You can say, how much pleasure is my life giving to God? Because I will tell you this, and, and so many of you know this, when you focus on yourself, when you focus on what you want and what you like and what you need and your plans and your goals, you will always be battling frustration. You'll always be battling anxiety and fear and a sense of not being fulfilled. But when you flip that over and you wake up in the morning and you say, God, my life belongs to you. How can I please you today? How can I bring joy to your heart? It changes everything. And let me just close with this thought. In Noah's day, uh, people were doing all kinds of things that broke God's heart. Is that happening now? Yeah, you bet it is. There are a lot of things happening in this world that break God's heart. Let me show you some commentary on the story of Noah. And this commentary comes from Jesus himself. This is in the book of Matthew. Jesus says this, when the Son of Man, and that's a reference to Jesus, that's one of the titles um, of Jesus. In fact, it's the one that he liked the best, that he used most often to describe himself. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. So, Jesus, what's going to happen? Well, he tells us, I'm coming back. And just as Jesus came to our world the first time, he will come a second time. And the scripture reminds us that when Jesus returns, every single person who has ever lived will give an account of their life before God. And it will become very clear whether you've been living to please yourself or living to please God. And church, this is my prayer for each one of us, that we will live today in light of that future reality. That our number one goal will be to please God with our lives. And realize this, just as God looked down and saw Noah's heart, he looks down and he sees our hearts as well. And I want to show you this final verse from the book of Second Chronicles. It says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth, in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. By God's grace, may you be that kind of person. By God's grace, may we be that kind of church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth that does a lot more than inform us. It's the truth that transforms us. And, and Father, today, I would just like to to offer this confession on and part of our whole church family. Father, we have not loved you supremely all the time. We have not trusted you completely. God, we have not thanked you continually. We have not obeyed you wholeheartedly. So, Father, forgive us. But, God, I know this, that when we stumble and fall, you're right there to pick us up. So, Lord, pick us up today. Help us to, to get our eyes on Jesus. Father, help us day by day to make pleasing you loving you, the number one goal of our life. And Lord, I pray this as well for the person who's here this morning and maybe for the very first time they've understood this good news about Jesus and they've decided that they'd like to, to follow him. Listen, if that's you this morning, you can just pray this silently to God and you can use your own words. But first of all, just tell God that you're, you're sorry for all the, the failure and sin in your life, the ways that you've broken his command. Just tell God that in your own words. And you can tell God that you believe that Jesus is his son who died for your sins and who came back to life. And finally, you can just say, God, hey, I don't understand all this stuff about Christianity or following Jesus, but I want to do exactly that. I want Jesus to be in charge of my life. So today, I decide to follow him. Father, I know that so many people in this room have made that decision. And Father, every time somebody prays that prayer, you run to rescue us. You lift us up and you introduce us to a new kind of life, life to the fullest. God, I pray so much for our church that that we would continue, God, to have a heart that pleases you, that, that more and more we really would love you and trust you and obey you with all of our heart. Because God, you made a promise that as we do that, you will strengthen us so that we can carry out your mission and make a difference in this world. And so, Lord, this last song is really a a prayer, but it's also a declaration. That, Jesus, you're our king, and we want to bring joy to your heart. We want to honor you in all that we do. So, Father, help us do that. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.